Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. Welcome back to our study of the Gospel according to Matthew. We are in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and in our last episode, we discussed how chapter 6 has shifted emphasis from chapter 5. In chapter 5 of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is focusing on the disciples' relationship to the world, whereas in chapter 6, the emphasis is more on our relationship with God. The basic idea is that our relationship with God is to be, well, our relationship with God. Activities like giving, prayer, and fasting are to be done in the sight of God and not in order to impress others. We talked last time about how the chapter is framed in terms of giving and trusting God with our finances. So in this episode, we will discuss the middle section, verses 5 to 18, which concern the topic of prayer and fasting. Now, I've lumped these two together, whereas many separate them, and I don't really have a dog in this fight. It's just the way that I see it. Uh, The fasting and prayer seem to go hand in hand. Uh, Zmajewski writes in the Exegetical Dictionary of the New Testament in his entry on fasting, quote, The religious motivation for fasting is clearest when the term fast appears in conjunction with other religious terms. Fast most frequently stands in parallel with pray. Both are signs of the worship of God. The idea that the effectiveness of prayer can be enhanced through fasting can be found already in the Old Testament, end quote. So, since prayer was often connected with fasting, and the two are placed back-to-back here in Matthew, I think it's best to join them under one heading. And this also conveniently allows us to see a chiasm in chapter 6, going from giving to prayer, and then bouncing back to giving. Now, the overall context of chapter 6 is important to keep in mind, especially as we come to one of the most well-known passages in all the Bible, 6, 9-14, variously called the Paternoster, the Lord's Prayer, or even the Disciples' Prayer. Now, the latter is nice in that it brings out the distinction between Jesus and his disciples, particularly when it comes to the part about asking for forgiveness. And yet, with that obvious exception about asking for forgiveness, uh, the disposition it expresses toward God accurately conveys Jesus' relationship to the Father. So, keep your eye out for the similarities it has with Jesus' prayer in the garden, for example. But all that is is a side note. Uh, Let me read through this unit, and as I do so, keep your eye out for how the Lord's Prayer fits in to other material on prayer. Starting in verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your own room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. Now let me pause right here from the reading to point out that I'm using the ESV. Many are familiar with the traditional ending, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This, along with other endings, uh, sometimes Trinitarian ones like, uh, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, were added later. Uh, This is how we would expect the prayer to end with some sort of doxology. It's kind of strange to just end it with the word evil or perhaps the word evil one. Uh, I'd rather end it with a reference to God than to Satan, but the manuscript evidence is in favor of the shorter reading. So the prayer kind of ends there. Picking up again in verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, the overall idea is that we need to keep our relationship with God, our relationship with God, doing things before him and not before others. We are to pray in the secret place. Now, Jesus here is, again, like he so often does in the Sermon on the Mount, using hyperbole, exaggeration for effect. Of course, it's okay to go into a closet or a personal uh, space in order to pray, but the prohibition of You can't pray anywhere else except for a closet. We'd be taking it too far. After all, we have examples of Jesus praying out loud in front of other people. In fact, uh, the prayer here is said in front of other people. So when he says, don't pray except for in your prayer closet, um, he's using a hyperbole. As a corollary to keeping the true audience of our prayers in mind, uh, we don't need to be eloquent or verbose. Now imagine just the theological absurdity of thinking we can impress God with our big vocabulary. And he's listening to our prayers thinking, wow, Bruce knows a lot of words. But from hearing a lot of people pray, I can't help but think that some people must be thinking that. Well, it's either that or the true audience of their prayer isn't God, but those around them. Instead, Jesus recommends that we use the KISS rule for prayer. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before. The KISS rule is... Keep it simple, stupid. Our Father knows what we need before we ask him. So we don't need to go into long explanations trying to impress him with uh, the length of our prayers. Now, as many of you probably know, that uh, this prayer, our Father, has often been repeated verbatim, that is, word for word. So are we to just actually repeat these literal words, or is it just the gist that Jesus is getting at? We now have an ancient document called the Didache. It dates to uh, late late 1st century or early uh, 2nd century. And it says that we should pray this prayer three times a day. Uh, There were Jewish prayers that were repeated. And Jesus isn't saying, you're not allowed to say this word for word. And sometimes if you were to, for example, command, hey, let's say the Lord's Prayer together, some people might think you're not allowed to do that. It's okay for you to literally say the Lord's Prayer. We should be people who love the words of the Lord Jesus, and the more that we can say his words, the better. However, notice that he specifically says, don't just keep saying things over and over again uh, with your mouth without actually having your head engaged. You can't 
just repeat the words without, without thinking about what they actually mean. And that would fall under the critique that Jesus actually gives in this passage. Remember that prayer is simply talking to God, and even just studying the Gospels, there's a variety of ways in which uh, Jesus and the apostles and others talk to God. Um, so we can say the, the Lord's Prayer verbatim if we'd like to, but that can't be the only way that we talk to God. The prayer is, in a lot of ways, similar to other Jewish prayers. The similarities with what is called the Kaddish are particularly interesting. Uh, Jeremiah translates it, quote, Exalted and hallowed be his great name in the world which he created according to his will. May he let his kingdom rule in your lifetime and in your days and in the lifetime of the whole house of Israel speedily and soon. Praised be his great name from eternity to eternity. And to this say, Amen. End quote. So that's the ancient Jewish prayer called the Kaddish. You probably noticed it's got a lot in common with the Lord's Prayer. Note that both connect the sanctification of God's name with the coming of his kingdom. I think it's best when uh, the Lord's Prayer says, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name, or may your name be sanctified, to see this as a reference to Ezekiel 36, 23, which talks about the coming kingdom age. It reads, a quote, And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. End quote. In other words, when Jesus prays for God to sanctify or make holy his own name, he is praying for the coming of God's kingdom, which will have the effect of God's rule extending from heaven down to earth. Of course, as we've noted several times in this series, Matthew presents the kingdom as in some ways already present in the ministry of Jesus. And so the sanctification of God's name and his will being done here, as believers do God's will, particularly as revealed in Jesus' teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, in that sense, we are being given a preview of things to come. But don't miss the big thrust of this first half. As believers, we're to look around the world and see people breaking God's law, and it should bother us. We should pine for the day when the world comes under God's dominion. And we should pray that that would happen soon. May your kingdom come. May people stop treating your name like it's garbage. Sanctify your own name when the Lord Jesus returns to set up his kingdom. Our attitude should be like that of what we read in Psalm 119 verse 126. It is time for the Lord to act for your law has been broken. So, in my analysis, the first half of this prayer is eschatological. It's futuristic in nature. Some people see the whole prayer in this light. Uh, that's a possibility that uh, is worth exploring, and since many of us are probably unfamiliar with it, let me just explain it a little. Uh, the word translated for this day, as in give us this day our daily bread, is complicated in the Greek. Uh, there is no record of it being used at this time except for right here. So we could have something like bread for the coming day or even bread for tomorrow. That is, bread for the day that is dawning. And bread is often associated with the end times kingdom. Similarly, when Jesus says, deliver us from temptation, well, this could be understood in an eschatological way. It could be understood like Revelation 3.10, in which uh, 
the Lord Jesus says, I will keep you from the hour of trial or temptation, that is the tribulation, that is coming on the whole world. So it's an interesting proposal, and again, I really don't have a dog in this fight. The whole thing may be eschatological, some of it is, but it seems like the second half of the prayer, verses 11 to 13, are still about everyday realities. The request for daily provision seems to anticipate the material in 625 to 34. God clothes uh, the, the flowers of the field and he will take care of us every day. We're not to worry about the things of tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Instead, we are to trust God day by day, even providing for our bread. Now, the prayer for bread and the request to not be led into temptation almost certainly is meant to remind us of the wilderness temptation. You remember that scene? There, Jesus was led. It's a different Greek word, but basically the same idea of lead us into temptation. He was led by God, the Holy Spirit, into the desert in order to be tempted by the devil. And there we saw, in the starkest terms possible, what it looked like to trust God for provision. Note also that this link strongly suggests that the ending of the prayer should be understood as deliver us from the evil one as opposed to deliver us just from generic evil. Uh, Because in the desert, the one who was tempting Jesus was the evil one, the tempter, the devil himself. And Jesus is praying that his disciples wouldn't have to go through similar experiences. Followers of Jesus are just deluded, of course, if they think that because they are on God's side, this means there won't be any hardship. Just the opposite. Think of how many times in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, or let alone the rest of the New Testament, Believers are promised hardship and persecution. Now, no one enjoys these times in and of themselves. Jesus doesn't say, do your best to offend people and get persecuted. Now, we are promised blessing when that does happen, but we don't go out of our way to make it happen. We are to pray that it doesn't happen. Pray that we don't enter times of trial and temptation. Notice that this final line of the Lord's Prayer not only indicates the obvious avoidance of difficulty, but it also shows what kind of weapon we have against such attacks. So the idea is this, when difficulty is looming, it can be tempting to find shortcuts and easy ways out. We could compromise or be like Peter, foresee that uh, persecution is coming, and so we deny the Lord. But the better approach, rather than compromising our discipleship to avoid times of trial, is to take it to the Lord in prayer. It is in the light of the hardship that would produce Peter's denial that Jesus said, watch and pray so that you do not enter into temptation. And we would be wise to repeat that same prayer in our everyday life. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu slash partner.